San Quentin, what good do you think you do? Do you think I'll be different when you're through? You bend my heart and mind and you warp my soul. Your stone walls turn my blood a little cold. San Quentin, may you rot and burn in hell. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Flintlock Faction. Today, I am joined with the great Carrie Wedler. She has blessed us with her presence. Say hi to the folks. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Um, so, as always, with every new, uh, with every new guest, we're going to go right into Anarchist Anonymous. We're going to do some AA. Tell us your story. <laughs> My name is Ned. Hello, Ned. Cool. Yeah. So I've actually been in this movement for a while now. It all started, um, well, it all started in my childhood because I was raised to be a liberal. Um, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm from Los Angeles. So I'm sure people can imagine the political atmosphere and environment here. Uh, Well-meaning people, but you know, they're, they're on the statism. And so was I. Um, went to public school, even for university, never questioned the system at all. I was a giant Obama supporter. Like, I was waiting outside in the rain, not even to see him, to see his wife and Oprah give a speech oh, at my wow. university. <laughs> like, and I was so excited. Oh my God, I was exhilarated. Sometimes it comes up on my Facebook memories of like posts I made in that year. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> but it's a good reminder. It's good to remember that nobody is known. Well, some, there's some rare, excep- rare exceptions, but very few people are born just inherently not believing the system. And I think that's a beautiful thing about humanity is we're trusting. Like I, I th- people think that it's a bad thing. We're stupid, we're sheep, but no, our nature is to be trusting. We don't assume bad intentions in others because most people are good. So anyway, I trusted everything the system told me. And eventually I was actually interning at a film studio out here. And it wasn't like one of the really gross ones. It was actually a really decent one that makes good content, but okay. I had all this extra time on my hands because I was a script reader. So I'd finish the scripts, I'd write my summaries and then I would just sit around in the office all day. And I started reading the news. And this was in Obama's first term actually. And I was so disgusted by what I saw. I was like, wait a minute, I voted for the guy who said there was gonna be peace and love and change and hope. And I was just so disillusioned and so disappointed and honestly resentful. And at that time, I still thought the problem was with the politician, not the system necessarily. Like I knew the system was corrupt, but I thought that you could work within it. And so I found Ron Paul and that was my first step toward radicalization. So. I was big volunteering with his campaign in 2012. And then I got a giant punch in the gut because I realized that Ron Paul was never going to win. You know, I thought he was, you know, there's that, that really great energy. Yeah. Like anyone who was involved in the 2008 or 2012 campaigns can tell you, I mean, we were so positive, so hopeful. We really thought that we were going to make an electoral change and that didn't happen. So gradually over time, that's when I started to radicalize. And it's, it's such a strange memory, but it really, sort of solidified things for me. It was 2012 in the summer. So he was already out. Like we already knew it wasn't going to happen. And I got a parking ticket and I had already been dabbling in like Rothbard's anatomy of the state. You know, I was already going down that road, but I got this parking ticket and it just clicked. I was like, wait a minute. I've been taxed to build these roads, to pay for the meters, to pay the parking enforcement guy's salary, to pay for his car. And then they're going to come charge me more. And they're going to threaten violence against me if I don't pay. And I was like, no, I'm done. And this is LA. So it's a very expensive parking ticket. And after that, um, more of the philosophy came later, but it was a parking ticket that did me in with the statism. Oof! It was just <laughs> uh, it was a pebble. It was a pebble on a on a pile of rocks that caused an avalanche. Exactly. And now here I am. 
with Ron Paul, um, first of all, hope uh, hope he gets well. Uh, prayers to Ron Paul and his family. Hope he gets better. He seems to be better. Uh, but with Ron Paul, even though he lost, I mean, he he kind of started the the new libertarian awakening. Uh, like I, I'm pretty sure they call the first like wave of people into the Liberty community, the Ron Paul wave. So, yeah, I mean, he yeah. still did some, some good in the, in the, uh, in the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people will complain about him or criticize him and say he didn't get anything done in Congress. And I mean, he voted no on a bunch of stuff, which is admirable. And it was all very principled, but I don't see that as his main value. I don't see politics as the main value. His real value has just been spreading the message in a way that people understand in such a simple, uh, simple, applicable way. And something I love about him too, is he's so positive. And I, I know that I can be very like, people say I complain all the time in my videos. I try to put solutions in and, I, I, and I'm adding more in. And I, I'm sorry, war crimes sound like complaining to you. Oh, sorry that I'm, I'm disturbed by innocent people being killed by bombs that you have to pay for. Um, You're so negative. <laughs> I'm so negative. Um, but it, that is something I really admired about Ron Paul is he came from it or came at it not from the government is so I mean he does complain about how well the government is but it always comes with this positivity positivity of here's this huge plague that's causing so much suffering across mankind throughout history but here's this wonderful solution and I love that he's always bringing it back to liberty to freedom to the possibilities and how endless they are when we're peaceful and we work together as opposed to coercing people and imposing violence on them so that's I really appreciate I appreciate his message more than anything he did as a politician and I think that that was really just a springboard to spread the message it's what liberty-minded politicians should do I mean they're not going to win anything big um, I know that it took him I think what was it was like decades to get his own like subcommittee to do anything and then the moment they were like fine We'll give him, I don't know, finance, something boring. He was like, right. cool, I'm yeah. going to audit the Fed. And they're like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's not really their job is to win anything. And that sounds bleak and shitty. But like uh, <laughs> their job is to really is exactly what you said, spread the message so that we can come in and say, hey, bud, I, uh, I know that you were looking forward to winning, but that's never going to happen because the state is never going to let us win anything. So we have to seize liberty through other means. Right. And I think those other means are honestly more effective anyway, whether you're talking about agorism, decentralization, you know, like I, I think that politics is the least effective means to attain freedom. And I understand why people want to go that route. I can empathize with that. It's just not my, I don't see that as being the, the actual path to freedom. What is your path to freedom, if I may ask? Well, it's actually multi-tiered. So obviously if we let's say politics but i like to say apolitical so making things less political decentralization is a huge one for me so taking away that power that's gotten so overbloated at the federal level because obviously we're not going to have anarchy tomorrow like we're not just going to wake up and everybody's free and everybody gets it and like and they don't want a government that's just not where we're at right now right. so i think a great step is decentralization down to the community level down to the individual obviously but that i think takes a lot of mental and spiritual evolution and also that actually brings me to the next thing is when i talk about spirituality it's it's about like internal well-being and taking care of yourself and i think that actually dovetails quite nicely with the philosophy of anarchism and freedom like you're responsible for yourself you're responsible for not hurting others but i see so much suffering in the world that honestly has nothing to do with statism it's like our just as humans we incur trauma we incur pain and suffering and when we're not conscious of that 
and we become reactive, that is deeply re reflected in the political process. So when you see these people out in the streets, like crying and throwing tantrums and fighting, I mean, ultimately what we're dealing with is reactivity that people don't know how to regulate and they don't know how to process. So as much as I believe in agorism and cryptocurrency and anything that can undermine the state, getting your hair cut without a license, you know, all, all of these amazing options, using Signal instead of using iMessage, you know, or right. getting off Facebook. I don't use Facebook anymore. I'm rarely on it. I'm off the messenger for sure. I talk on Signal. Like it's encrypted, it's secure. It hopefully, it's our best chance to bypass surveillance if that's even possible. But if we, if we are able to, it's on Signal as far as I'm aware. Um, so between all of these decentralized solutions, agorism, making the state obsolete, for me, another big one is mental health and like learning to care for ourselves so that we're not just barfing it all out onto other people. And then that's reflected and manifested through the lens of statism, which is violence and coercion. I think that's like where a lot of the toxicity comes from. You know, I, I've heard a lot about different vessels of liberty that are viable and legitimate. Um, but self-care and mental health has not ever been brought up. And that is actually a really good point. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to be clear, I'm speaking from personal experience. When I first started making videos, I was like really angry. Like if you look at some of my older videos, I feel like there's so much more anger in my face. And on one hand, uh, yeah, it's completely healthy to be angry at what's going on in the world. You know, Dude, like, that's a normal reaction. You burned a fucking Obama flag. That shit was I hilarious, did. but like, <laughs> I get you. it. <laughs> yeah, that, and that was just like a random idea I had too. I wasn't even trying to be angry about it, but I think inherently like blowtorching something is, you know, a little charged. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really expecting the reaction I got when I filmed it. I was just like having a good time in my mom's backyard. <laughs> she oh, got okay. mad at me because I burned a hole in her grass. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, this has been my personal journey of just learning to pause of like, hey, somebody can leave me a mean comment, you know, calling me names and I have a choice. I can either respond and be a bitch and it, I can be really good at being a bitch. Like I can come up with some really biting snarky commentary or I can pause. I can look at the comment I'm writing out and be like, hmm, that's not necessary. That has a sassy tone. Like if the goal <laughs> is to communicate peace and freedom, I kind of need to be peaceful and free myself. And what I find a lot in our community and humanity at large, this is not specific to anarchists or libertarians or anything. It's just also, it happens here because we're also human. It's we tend to confuse our political anger with deeper emotions that are going on within us. So a lot of my journey the last few years has just been pausing, feeling, and trying to be more compassionate toward myself so that I can apply that to others. You know, like I can complain and call voters stupid and make fun of them. And I'm probably gonna make a video that's like satirical about that. But at the end of the day, I also really try to take steps to be compassionate towards people like why would they feel like they have to vote for a lesser evil oh wait it's because they've been programmed their entire lives they're victims too you know like right. it's and again I, I don't think anger is inherently a bad emotion like it's not wrong to be angry it's not wrong to have reactive feelings I think it's just no one in our society is taught how to process these things and so we're, we're all just like like casting it out into the ether or the abyss and we're all projecting onto each other. And then because we feel so strongly and we're so attached to these emotions, then we're voting based on them and then real harm is done. Well, I was, um, so I haven't had cable in a, in a while uh, because cable's garbage, but I'm <laughs> staying, I'm staying in a hotel because I'm uh, out of town on work. And uh, it's the first time I've had cable in a long time. So I turn on comedy central and they have a, they have a commercial that says vote for your life vote like your life depends on it because it does it's a it is oh my gosh 
that vote yeah. for your life. You're going to die <laughs> if you don't vote for, for the right person. That's a lot of pressure. And that just reminds me that there's a, a multi-billion dollar propaganda machine that that duped me for many years. In fact, I mean, like I like I told you uh, before we started recording, I, I not only believed in the state, I served to protect the state at all costs right. in a law enforcement capacity until I was uh, until I was radicalized. And it was, you know, uh, it's it was a is a violent uh, knee jerk uh, radicalization moment like you where it just clicked. And I said, oh, my God, what have I been doing my whole life? Yeah. But um, the the propaganda, I can never blame anyone ever again for for serving the state or for, you know, wanting to protect at any cost, because I mean, I've been there and I understand it from that mindset. I can never blame them ever again for that. Um, and it feels really good to be right and be like, you're stupid. And I know what things are really like, you know, like, that feels very gratifying. I like that. I like being right, you know, but like at some point I also want to be at peace and yeah. sometimes you can be right and be at peace, but I love what you mentioned about the propaganda machine and like voting as if your life depends on it, because just to bring it back to what we were talking about with feelings and emotions, I mean, that's like a giant fear propaganda machine. And so much of the statism we see is based on fear. People are afraid and understandably so. And I just want to share a little, um, a little excerpt from a podcast I listen to. I'm, I'm a hippie. I'm from LA. I'm in California. And there's this wonderful meditation teacher and she has a bunch of podcasts and I listen to them and she was, I was listening to one about forgiveness and anger. And she used an example of herself of during the Iraq invasion in 2003, she was really angry. And she's like this peaceful, kind old lady meditation teacher, but she was like, I couldn't take it. I was reading the news every day. I was so mad, but underneath that anger was fear. So when I'm talking about these reactive emotions of like anger and hate and bitterness and all these things that get projected into statism, they're really just, they're they're easier to feel than fear fear is more vulnerable than anger so when i look at all these people who are angry and they're yelling at each other they're yelling at me i'm yelling at people you know like we're all operating from a place of fear and what this woman her name's tara brock was saying was yeah i was angry but i was scared that innocent people were going to die i was scared that this government was out of control and then came the anger so we're talking about anger and everything and reactivity but just to bring it back to that propaganda machine, I mean, fear is a really powerful drug. It's extremely potent and it can get people to submit quite easily and to want others to submit too. So I just, I love that you mentioned that, the propaganda. I just wanted to come back to that because I think that's such a giant factor in why people believe and behave the way they do. I mean, fear makes a lot of fucking money for the corporate yeah. press. So <laughs> exactly. it's, it's a lot of fucking money that they're making off yeah. of this. And 2020 has been a goldmine for them. Yep. But, and it's constant activation. Like con it's not good for people to be constantly stressed and in a constant state of fear. Like our bodies aren't built for that to have like cortisol pumping through us at all times. Like that's for like running away from predators, you know, <laughs> like not day-to-day -day life. And every time you turn on the TV. I love, uh, there was something, I think it was biting the bullet said it, uh, but they took away sports ball. And so like that, the only thing <laughs> that that people were able to watch was politics and like what is happening in the world and they were forced to face reality. So it has just been a hundred times worse. Like yeah. so much, so much fucking toxicity. Is, yeah, is that's a word? Is that the word? It, yeah, completely. And it's all filtered through these partisan narratives. So like they think they're getting the news. Yes, but it's all manipulated to act like specifically to activate them. Like, I'm not saying that there's like somebody at CNN whose job it is, is to like push buttons and find ways to manipulate people's emotions, but it, that's kind of the effect. And all they get is just like reinforcement of what they believe and fear of the other. And I feel like that is such a huge factor in the problem of state of state. The problem of statism at large is that fear of others. 
Well, that dude, you, you say that they, they don't think that, but that douchebag from Meet the Press, I can't remember what his name is for the life of me. But uh, he, Chris Matthews? Chris, uh, it might have been Chris. It might, I don't know if it was Chris Matthews. Chris sounds correct. But uh, Brian Williams, because he had a line along, like he said something along those lines. It wasn't Brian Williams, but one of them did say that it was their job to teach, like to tell people what to think. And oh uh, and and it was wrong that the president was saying that they're fake news because mm. it's their job to tell people what to think. And I, I don't know if that was a like a slip wow. of the tongue or if that was, yeah. or or what, but it kind right. of just reveals what their their end game is. Yeah. I mean, there's so much arrogance too, because there's, I've used this line in some of my videos because it was so appalling. It was during the first North Korea kerfuffle with Trump and Brian Williams is sitting on nightly news. And he's like, our job tonight actually is to scare you to death on this. Like this is straight. And it's so hard to find on the internet. Now I had to dig for it. It used to be right up on YouTube. And now like you can only find like secondhand versions of it. Well, at least he's um, honest. Right, exactly. And it makes you wonder, like, to what extent is it planned versus these are just people who are status too, and they believe in the system too, and they actually think they're serving people because back when the CIA was infiltrating the media and journalism, at least based on the research I've read about it, the journalists thought they were being patriots. You know, like yep. they didn't stop and think like, oh, I'm manipulating the masses. It was like, no, we have to get the right information out so people know what's going on. And if it comes from the CIA, I mean, well, that's just the the ultimate source of information. And they didn't think of it as, you know, dumbing down the American public and making them obedient zombies. But here we are. Yeah. But speaking of of the press, of everything that's happening in 2020, there's an election, unfortunately, for you and for me. Uh, and those else who support Ron Paul, he's not running this year, but who is running this year is uh, is is Joe Biden, sleepy Joe Biden and the dirty cop Kamala Harris. And that goes into what we're actually discussing today, the war on drugs, because they are big advocates for the war on drugs. You have the tough on crime bill and you have the other one who has locked up people for smoking the same plant she did and laughing about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's a lot to unpack here. Um, so we are talking about the drug war. Was there anything specific you want to get into, or should we just start with these drug warriors? Let's talk with the drug. Let's talk about the drug warriors. You, uh, you actually, this is one of your specialties, isn't it? It, you know, it was when I had a news organization before we got banned. It was the anti-media, and that was one of my main beats was the drug war. So I'll be honest, I'm not as updated on the current statistics and whatnot, but it's definitely something I care a lot about. So, um. What, the drug war really started with um, with Nixon, didn't it? Officially, yes. So to my understanding, I mean, cannabis was banned years and years before, uh, like decades before. But they had already, you know, do you remember Reefer Madness? Like that movie that was made, I think in the 30s or 40s, just like trying to terrify people out of smoking weed. I've heard of the had. phrase Reefer Madness, but I have never actually seen the movie. It's really funny. I've used some of the clips in my videos. It's just absurd. You know, coming back to fear, they're like trying to ter terrify people about a plant. But yeah, officially it started with Nixon. They were going to wage a war on drugs. Um, and here we are, what, 50 years later. And one of my favorite things to do would be to look at the DOJ website because every single day, they had new press releases about catching drug dealers. And it's like, wait a minute, you guys have been doing this for how long? And you're still just catching like a few little crumbs of dealers and you're like patting yourselves on the back for it. I mean, at what point do you think you're going to actually stop the flow of drugs? I mean, it's clear that it's not happening. It, that it, prohibition, this is not a surprise for any of your listeners, I'm sure, but prohibition is not the way to stop a behavior. And I think that's so much of the problem with government, especially with drugs 
I'm not saying you should go out and do drugs. I'm not saying that they're great for people. I think everyone's free to experiment with their own consciousness. And I certainly have. Um, but the real issue isn't so much about drug use. It's about drug abuse and addiction and banning them physically is never going to get to the root causes of why people get addicted to drugs. And that brings it back to emotional health and taking care of yourself. And that's a whole rabbit hole to go down. But ultimately, again, the government misses the boat completely. It's, they look at the surface issue and without any understanding, and it seems attempt to understand the real causes, they slap on a force-based solution and it's not a solution because here we are. And the thing that just blows my mind is we all know what the drug war has done. It's caused mass incarceration. It's disproportionately affected minorities. And it just grinds my gears so hard to hear well-intended people who really care somehow rationalize to themselves that they're caring for the vulnerable by voting for the exact people who worsened their vulnerability. Like it, it, it blows my mind. <laughs> I don't think they understand what the war on drugs is all about. And it's funny because it's funny that you mentioned that it's been disproportionately uh, geared towards locking up minorities, because I, I know that a lot of people roll their eyes at that. But I, I, I have a quote in front of so you cut out front. for a second. I oh, I need you to repeat that. I said, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that it was geared towards minorities. And I know people roll their eye, roll, might roll their eyes at this, but I actually have a quote in front of me from uh, the Nixon campaign for Harper's Magazine. It says the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand that uh, what I'm saying, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt both communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them at night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did. So that's they're literally open about it, about the war on drugs. This came out in 1994 uh, in Harper's Magazine, and yet we're still going after the war on drugs as if it's still the 70s completely and so yeah we've got a war on basically uh people who want the government to stop being shady like anti-war activists and people who have been persecuted like since the beginning of the country right um which i'm like there's so many thoughts coming up but i think that so we have these wars but ultimately what it comes down to is a war on consciousness on like the freedom to control your own consciousness. And of course, I find it so fascinating and so fitting that for example, with psychedelics, like they made their way out into the public because the CIA was experimenting with them trying to figure out if they could use it to control people's minds. And then they let the genie out of the bottle or like Pandora out of the box or whatever comes out of Pandora's box. And all of a sudden it spread and that actually helped fuel that hippie movement of the seventies that was anti-war, that was, you know, as much as they're not now, like the boomers didn't necessarily continue the revolution, but at that time they were really rejecting the system. And I think what you said that people don't understand the war on drugs, not only the ramifications, but I think the implication, which is that you don't own yourself, literally. You don't get to choose what you put in your body. You don't get to experiment with your own consciousness. And that of course is never a mainstream conversation that I've seen. Like we're still at a point where people are just like, we're just getting to the point where weed is okay. You know, there are a lot of other substances that people wouldn't dare dream about. Even people who were like, oh yeah, we should decriminalize cannabis. Yeah, right, they wouldn't be down to decriminalize other things. 
And it's this notion that literally you don't own yourself because if you don't have that right to decide, well, then who does? Well, the don't government, because they're deciding for you. <laughs> don't you know that it's only okay if the government gives you drugs? It's funny that you mentioned that weed is now being seen upon in a different light. They just made it, I think they just, uh, they either decriminalized it or made it uh, recreational in New Hampshire. It was, uh, it was Bernie Sanders state, but he was talking mm, yes. about how it's such a great win. And it's, it's, uh, every state that it's in is heavily taxed. So it's it's only okay if the government says it's okay. Yeah. It's only okay if the government gets its share because the mafia can never not get its share. Right, and I just find that so appalling. It's like, hold on, you guys have been throwing people in cages for how long? And now you're gonna charge people for consuming the substance you were imprisoning them for? Like you just ruined people's lives for decades and now you want a cut of it? because you decide to stop being as tyrannical about it. Like, it's just like, of course, it's so typical of government freaking parasites. Well, you're funny. Uh, <laughs> they're, uh, I mean, they're the biggest drug dealers in the world. Look at Iran-Contra. Yeah. I mean, every uh, all the, the conservatives all glorify Ronald Reagan whenever he's right. one of the biggest drug dealers in the fucking world, uh, flooding the inner cities with crack cocaine and in and, and the name of uh, destroying communism. Right, exactly. And it's just, people will defend that. Well, they'll defend the drug war, you know, and, and being a drug warrior, because, you know, we often talk about like victimless crimes, right? So like, people shouldn't be caged if there's no victim, but then drug warriors will, drug warriors will say, but there are victims, you know, like victims within communities and the person who dies of the drug overdose. I'm like, well, okay, but again, what's causing this? And until, and I find so interesting, this is, I'm just thinking of it now, is like, no wonder the government and the DEA can't delve deeper into why people do drugs. Because what's the saying? It's like, everything's a nail when all you have is a hammer. Is that the saying? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if all they know how to do is violently enforce rules, they're not going to be able to pause and be like, wait, maybe this person's really suffering. I mean, I'm, I'm really fascinated by addiction and you know, I've smoked a lot of weed in my life. So like, I like to, you know, check in with myself and be like, hmm, why are we doing this, Carrie? You know, and, and a lot of what I've learned is that addiction and like the need to, it's basically a need to escape. And it's this feeling that the current, the present moment doesn't have everything you need, that maybe the next moment, maybe if you do this drug, maybe that'll have what you need. Maybe it'll contain what this moment doesn't. And it's this like deep longing and it's usually rooted in childhood stuff, you know, or genetics, but these aren't things that the government ever considers. I mean, I'm sure that there are more progressive people within government who would like to increase social programs and whatnot and reduce the, the punitive measures. But ultimately, it's very difficult to have empathy when government itself is like the antithesis of empathy. <laughs> like, it's really hard to empathize when you think you have a right to rule over someone. But, but Carrie, they're just dirty drug users. I mean, gross. Oh, they're true. breaking the law. And <laughs> everyone knows that legality is morality. Of course, if you don't like the law, you just have to vote harder. And right. here we are, everybody's gonna vote harder and nothing's gonna change. Don't mind me while I go pop my Xanax and drink heavily. Well, right, exactly. And that's so much that, you know, say they ban Xanax tomorrow would like all of these, I don't wanna, you know, stereotype, but would all these suburban housewives, like would they just stop doing Xanax because the government said they had to? That's Fuck actually no. a good question. No, they is probably still keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. This is the scummiest show on the internet. We're calling out Karen right now and they'd be burning <laughs> down their fucking local Walmart, Walmarts and shit. Yeah, okay, that was a bad example. Cause my point was to say like, okay, let's go with, let's go with alcohol, right? So you can own a firearm and drink 
until you're plastered and you can't move and you're slurring your speech. Like that's all good. But in so many states, I don't know if it's a federal, I think it's, well, it's, it's guided by the federal laws, but there are many states where you're not allowed to have a medical marijuana license and own a firearm because it's illegal. That's the only reason, because clearly alcohol is a lot more dangerous and associated with a lot more violence than weed is, but because of the law, because of the words on the paper. That was literally why Duncan Lemp died. Right. He, he smoked he smoked a little uh, a little ganja back in high school. Oh, then, was that what the charge was? Yeah. So oh, um, wow. I, I think, didn't know that. I think the story is um, and if if a listener or someone who cares enough uh, can message me that I'm wrong, I'll take that into consideration and then put it out later. But anyways, uh, I'm pretty sure the official story is that uh, when Lemp was uh, a juvenile, he smoked weed and he got caught. And he did some juvenile time, and then it was expunged from his record I lost because. You. Did we oh, lose our connection? Pardon me. Are you there? I'm back. I can, now okay. you're back. Okay. <laughs> so so Lemp smoked a little weed when he was a when he was a kid, and then uh, he spent some time in juvie for it, and then it was expunged from his record when he turned 18. You mm-hmm. know, which is that's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to have yeah. a clean record. No one's supposed to see that. It's supposed to be sealed. And but in the state of Maryland, you're not allowed to have a firearm until you're 30 if that happens oh my god and so he owned he owned firearms nothing crazy he owned an ar and a shotgun i think and they shot him in his sleep along with his pregnant girlfriend who thankfully is fine right but those are the rules you know right and you know what i found so interesting too is i mentioned this in my last video but like that rationalization of like, well, they don't, they, they're just doing their jobs. They're just following orders. It's like, dude, that's so insulting to police officers. Like they, you're basically insinuating they can't think for themselves. Like, I know you think that you're like defending them, but that's actually like quite an indictment of the role they play and them as individual people. Like I've heard of cops who choose not to enforce laws. I mean, in Virginia, there were all these cops saying, or actually around the country, there have been cops who, was, who swear they won't enforce gun control, but it's like, but you're out here enforcing the drug war and that's just as unconstitutional. Like, and you're doing no knock raids, like you're invading people's homes, like you're killing them over drugs and they don't get due process. Like all of this is unconstitutional, but you have no problem with that. So it's, you know, when people say that the cops aren't going to take their guns, you know, and this just happened uh, in Virginia yesterday. Someone was open carrying um, Ford Fisher of news to share. If you don't follow him, I highly recommend checking him out. He has been documenting like everything going on in the streets in America and abroad for several years now. He's awesome. Um, but he recorded it. There was a guy open carrying. It was a, like a libertarian rally and sure enough got arrested because that's the law now. And it's just so funny to me because that's a democratic legislature in Virginia that passed the law and the cops are still enforcing it. Like do, at what point do you stop and look and be like, okay, it's not about partisanship. It's not about cops being good guys. It's about them working for the government. So they're going to enforce the laws. And sure, a few might think for themselves and good for them. And they might quit. I know a cop who said he would never enforce gun laws. I don't know about the other laws though, you know, but Um, yeah, it's, you know, they work for the government and it's so strange that people have such a hard time recognizing that. (laughs) Like, I love that last, uh, that last video that you put out about conservatives having to take a good hard look on backing the blue. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That always manages to ruffle feathers, but I think sometimes they just, if I put, I'm not a libtard in the caption, they kind of just don't comment because they have nothing else to say. Or they comment without watching and they like repeat the talking point that I spent the whole video dismantling. And it's like, well, okay, I'm going to let somebody else talk to you then, sir. Like, I'm not going to spend my time on this. Literally, um, someone take care of this man, please. Yeah, please. We'll just be nice. Don't call names. Just lay out the facts. Have fun. 
I assure you names will be called. I know. I, I personally really try not to, but I used to do it a lot. And it, you know, like we were talking about, like, it feels good to be right. You know, like I used to be such a little bee on my public Facebook and my comments would get so many likes and it's like, yes, okay. I'm going to keep being mean. People like what I mean, but like eventually like it's tiring. And ultimately like that kind of rage, speaking of drugs, I know it's not technical, it's not the drug where we're talking about, but that is a drug like to feel right. And to feel like everybody else sucks and you know, best like, and then to have that perceived power through voting, like, and power is addictive itself. I mean, look at all these megalomaniacs. Like, I don't see Nancy Pelosi going anywhere. She's been in office for how long? Oh, like, forever. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we're all just human. Uh, we all have our cravings and our suffering, and we all try to escape it. But I think there would be a lot less harm in the world if some people didn't have the right to impose violence while they're going through all these things. I mean, the power is what uh, is what seduced me to the government. Uh, mm -hmm. I did, when I did my internship with ICE, they the first thing they did, they slapped a they slapped a, a Tommy gun in my hand and a Mac Ten. They're like, "Look at this. this these are fucking cool toys, right?" Uh, oh, wow. you could you could play with these all the time if you just you know joined us and they yeah. showed me like all their cool m4s with their eotechs and shit and they're like look at all this cool shit you get to play with we have all this surveillance you and we have no red tape they have no red tape by the wow. way wow <laughs> that power is seductive dude but yeah. i get it it's a drug well, in itself yeah and it's this feeling of like not only do i get to do violence but i'm gonna be right when i do it like it's right. that like it's justified violence. It's a righteous cause. Kill all these dirty ass drug users. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if you're familiar with Larkin Rose. Do you... uh, no, um, I've, I've heard the name, but I'm unfamiliar with the work. He's awesome. He's been around forever. I don't know how he still does it. He's been doing this for like 20 years. I don't know if I'm going to last that long. I'm going on like eight or nine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I need a long vacation. Um, <laughs> but someone did a great video where they just mashed up his speeches and put video and music to it. Um, it's called The Most Dangerous. It's called oh, religion, the most, the most, the most Dangerous yeah. Religion. Yeah, that's, that's where I heard the name. Okay. <laughs> and in that video, one of the clips I love is he's talking about how they're like literally police officers will be like, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's not my fault that I beat you until you were paralyzed. I mean, that's the law. That's authority. So they literally absolve themselves of their, of their responsibility because of this belief in authority, because it's like this superhuman power that only they possess because they put on the badge and they put on the, the uniform. And so they become absolved in their own minds of any harm they might do because it's legitimate because it's the government. So where do you, where do you see this going? The war on <laughs> drugs, the the i mean shit we've kind of uh we've kind of blended into the uh into law enforcement in general but where do you see this going do you think i mean we're, we're seeing the legalization of weed everywhere recreationally or medically yeah where, where do you think this is going i think in the short term it's not going anywhere i think they're going to cling to this for quite a while um whether it's the prison unions or the police unions or the industries that want to ban big pharma big alcohol big tobacco I'd, and that's just, we're talking about weed, but I, I would venture to say that that applies to other drugs as well. Like MDMA, that's being proven with like therapy assistance, you know, that's been proven to be helping PTSD. So that's another thing. Oh, maybe they don't need like pharma cocktails, you know, like maybe they don't need to be drugged with 16 different psychotropic drugs at the same time to survive, you know? So anything that's a threat to these entrenched monopolies that are you know, state sanctioned monopolies, you know, I think that it's going to be a long, slow death. However, I mean, you look at Portugal, you look at public opinion, even the drug war is not going to go on forever. It's just not, 
I, I know it's going to take a while and it's going to take people changing their minds and warming up to the idea of self-ownership and like, hey, it's wrong to use violence against people who aren't hurting anyone else. Uh, because we get so I gave the dare speech at my dare graduation like oh I, I wrote a speech and there's a video of it like there's my dad filmed it because it was like I was given the speech you know like how far you've like, come yeah exactly I, I kind of want to go find it and like see what I said but I know that it didn't come from my own brain it came from everything they shoved down my throat so I think so much of it is deprogramming people's beliefs about about drugs yes but also it's not even about drugs again it's coming back to like you have the right to experiment with your own consciousness you own yourself and until we expand that message a little more it's going to take some time I think we're doing a great job but until more people get that message I don't think anything's going to change but I do think that over time I mean whether it's because the state collapses on its own from all the debt and quantitative easing and just like everything yeah there's no time to go into everything but like whether the drug war ends because the system at large collapses or whether people's consciousness and people's perspective on it changes it's not going to last forever i might be like an old lady by the time it's over but i do think it's going to end i mean you 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 mentioned big pharma and the different lobbying agencies uh you you want to someone like people often talk about the military industrial complex but uh and as i my my listeners have probably are probably tired of hearing of, but the prison industrial complex is definitely <laughs> a huge lobbying group on keeping drugs uh, right where they are in the legal yep. system. I mean, the amount of free labor that it gets, bringing this back to Kamala Harris, the amount of free <laughs> yeah, labor seriously. that they that they get from from drug dealers, from drug users, it's astonishing. Um, I know that uh, the most the most uh, at least in in my state the highest paying position that you can get in prison is uh is work release where you can um you it's you get in a, a uh an honor wing and uh you get privileges that the other inmates don't and you get to work outside the wire on the freeway picking up trash or working in different areas uh like making the community better and uh you get the whopping paycheck of 725 a day oh so, wow yes <laughs> That is the highest paying position in, in uh, the state that I'm from in prison. Uh, that's a lot of cheap, cheap fucking labor. And so keeping drugs right where they are in the legal system is, uh, is definitely good for them. And they'll fight tooth and nail to keep it that way. Yeah, completely. And I actually have a question for you because talking about prisons, I mean, and like, what's the motivation here? From what I understand prison or drugs are like very bountiful in prison like they're not it's not that hard to get drugs into a prison right oh no it's not uh you got you got dirty co's and work release often like brings drugs in uh but you also have dirty co's and and right throwing shit over the fence yeah in general and you find cops who are dealing drugs all the time too like so it's it's just so silly to think i mean it's such a facade I mean, if the, and this is, I'm, this is not my original idea. I've seen it in memes, in memes forever, but like if the most secure unit, a prison, you know, that's like completely shut down, nobody has freedom. If they can still get drugs, like what, what do you think you're doing out in the world guys? Like at what point, like, when do you win? When, and that's the thing about these wars, like when do they ever end? When's the war on terror going to end? Like, right. Uh, We're going, I think we just hit the 19th anniversary of Afghanistan and The war on drugs has been going on since uh, it's like mid '70s, so we're we're about uh, 45, 50 years in. Yeah, 
And, and isn't it strange that there's still a problem with drug addiction and they still haven't stopped all the traffickers? Like, hmm, I feel like at this point you have to reassess. Like you gotta start doing things differently. And you look at Portugal and they've had great success with decriminalization. And it's not, you know, they don't live in an anarchist utopia, but at least they stopped criminalizing people for basically like having mental health problems and trying to self-medicate because that's what it is right when someone's using drugs in an abusive way it's self-medication they just can't cope with where they're at and they need to numb themselves like i can identify with that i know that i got high a lot of times with that you know it wasn't conscious but like that's what i was doing so i i empathize with that and it again that can't be solved with legislation and men with guns like you you can throw people in cages all you want that's not going to change the suffering that leads to drug use I mean, on the flip side, I love uh, and and I know I'm I'm simping for this show right now on my own show, but biting the bullet. Uh, they they <laughs> have this like they have this great quote called uh or they from uh they have this great quote tweaker's gonna tweak, and <laughs> I I always go um I still have cop friends I still have correctional officer friends and when they talk about well uh you know the war uh the these these dirty drug users. I often bring them that quote and I, and I say, whose life is more important. It's not a trick question is yours or theirs. And they're like, well, I mean, if I have to choose, it's, it's gotta be me. Like my life's more important. Okay, cool. So then, you know, why are you risking your life to stop that person from voluntarily putting a chemical in their body and then not bothering anyone over it? Like whatever, dude. (laughs) It's because the law, hello, the law said legality is morality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that that drives so many of the problems we see. And it, again, it's well-meaning people. Like if you watch that Larkin video, like these are usually just good people who were taught that, that obedience is a virtue and that's not the case. And so you have these good people thinking they're doing good things, whether that's going and fighting overseas or advocating a wall or, you know, taking people's guns. They all think that they're being good. Like very few people are like, I want to be bad and I want to oppress people. Like, no, they're coming at it again from fear. And good intentions. It's just that they've been taught to believe that like the most evil institution in the world is the best way to implement their good intentions. So right. here we are. And potential voters out there, if for some reason you still think that voting is good, we've we've harped on we've harped on Biden, we've harped on Harris uh, many, many times before, especially this episode. But just a reminder that Trump was going to expand the war on drugs uh, during the COVID epidemic. Yeah, I watched that press conference with Barr, who is just an authoritarian. Like when people say that Trump's the most libertarian president ever, sure, there are like instances. Yeah, same. Like there are also instances like Obama did like a few libertarian things, you know, not a ton. Trump's probably done more than that. But I mean, come on, he's appointing like a hardline drug warrior. He has Mike Pompeo as his department. Like he literally brought in the guy from the CIA to the Department of State and then acts like he's like fighting the deep state. I don't know. I, I'm so, I've given up trying to make sense of any of it because it doesn't make sense. And not having anti-media, I'm not as, I'm not like in the news every day, which I actually kind of prefer. <laughs> it's been a nice break since losing it because like I would just spend my days just like reading all the horrible things going on in the world, like every development. So it's kind of nice to have some space from it. Um, but I know enough to know that Bob Barr is a drug warrior and they have no intention of actually ending the drug war. But I will give Trump credit for signing the criminal justice reform. That's cool. Now that's, I get you know, why you didn't watch the debate. And kudos to Kim Kardashian. Thank you, lady. Like, I appreciate it. You know, credit where it's due. Uh, but as far as like broad systemic change, it's not going to happen. Right. Don't break Kanye's heart, please. <laughs> I, I doubt I like she listens. <laughs> but, uh, 
But speaking of, or okay, is there anything else you'd like to speak on on the war on drugs? Um, I think I got out what I need to say, which is really just talking about the underlying issues, which okay. cannot be solved by government. The concept of owning your own consciousness and yourself, the ineffectiveness of the war on drugs and the failure. Is there anything else? <laughs> well, speaking of the prison industrial complex, and we're going to keep the same, the same uh, theme of drugs. I'm going to go right into my prison corruption story. Cool. So uh, while I was in prison, um, while I was working in prison, I should say, uh, we had this caseworker. Um, I'm not, I don't like to say names on the show just in case someone listens because whatever, maybe they will. Uh, we'll call her caseworker CH. So CH, um, no one liked CH. CH would pick and choose favorite inmates. And uh, some of them were drug dealers. Some of them were drug users, but she would target uh, other drug dealers and drug users in her housing unit and uh she would pick on them and play favorites and so you know every now and again we um we used a a, a 10 code system 10-5 means there's an emergency something is about to happen or is currently happening where someone is an immediate threat or danger and so probably about once every three months we'd get a 10-5 from caseworker or case manager ch and we would rush we'd rush to the office and she would be yelling at this at this person at this inmate screaming at him saying like see when i call they come and she would strong arm these these inmates who have no power or little to none i should say in prison uh and this caseworker has all the power over their life whether or not they spend more time what their punishment will be if they fuck up in prison and she would be just lording over them berating them publicly in front of other inmates which some in some camps is a death sentence or you could be strong-armed by their inmates if you get berated without retaliation and so she would just say like when i call they come like they could lock you up right now they could they could fucking they could fuck you up like blah 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 this woman was horrible and no matter how much we reported nothing happened and in fact i got pulled aside by her supervisor and said hey olson your uh i've i've doxed myself so many times and it doesn't fucking matter anymore but uh you you write all these reports it's starting to look like retaliation i know she's terrible you know she's terrible everyone in this fucking camp knows she's the worst and she presses inmates and acts like a fucking gang lord herself but it's looking looking like retaliation so your reports really aren't effective anymore that's the reality of prison that's the people that we hire. That's the, or we, I say it as if I'm still there. Uh, mm. That's the, that's the caliber of people that they hire to serve the state. Thoughts? Yeah. I, I don't think that's surprising at all. And I think, you know, it just comes back to this like basic understanding that I mean, ancient Greek philosophers were saying this like power attracts power or power attracts power hungry people. Like it's going to attract people who, may not have the best intentions. It certainly attracts well-intentioned people, obviously, because there's this giant myth in our society that government is good, that, or at least if it's not good, that it's not morally illegitimate, you know? So it's obvious, it's gonna right. attract people who want to exercise power over others. So it's either people who get involved with good intentions, become disillusioned and get out, or maybe they stay and try to change it and probably find out that they're not gonna make much of a difference. Or 
they're like genuinely uh, maybe sociopathic people who see an opportunity to lord over others and to have control and they get off on that. And that's just the nature of the state. And it, it, it happens in other places too, but I think it's just the most pronounced in government because again, bringing it back to that monopoly on violence, that, that right to be violent, that right to control others that government right. is perceived to have. Like, yay, I can do this and hurt people and I'll be a hero, cool. Like, yeah. of course it's gonna draw in some crazy violent people. They could, they, I could fuck you up and they'll throw me a parade. It's horrible. Yeah, exactly. Like I was, I was actually watching a show. It's my guilty pleasure show. It's called Lucifer and it's about like a detective and like the devil. And it's, it's so like not actually my genre. I don't even like murder shows, but nonetheless, there's one scene and there's like a cop who witnessed wrongdoing and the guy who was the victim of the wrongdoing, he's like, well, what, what are you, can you do anything about it? And he's like, I'm going to file a report. And the guy's like, okay, well then what? And the other guy's like, well, probably nothing, honestly. And it's like, that's that's what happens when you're trying to make a change within the system. When you, I mean, look at Chris Dorner. If I mean, I think your audience probably knows who he is. He was the cop that yep. snapped and started hunting down. Um, I don't know that he actually killed cops. He killed a couple of family members, which is unfortunate. I don't no, think he killed he cops. He, oh, uh, he got some cops too? Oh yeah, he he uh, um, he assassinated a couple in their cars, like that one, uh, like that one guy a couple months ago. Oh, I forgot he got them in cars. I remember he had killed the daughter of a cop and like maybe her husband or something. And then right. they were like spraying bullets into like a truck that looked like maybe what Dorner had, but he tried to work within the system. He filed complaints. Like, oh yeah. And this is someone who had previously committed acts of violence for the state. He was a veteran. He was overseas. Like this violence was the language he spoke. So it's not surprising that that was his reaction when he realized that he wasn't going to get the change he was trying to make within the department. Like that's, what is it? Live by the sword, die by the sword. Like, yeah, yeah unfortunately. Like the, I mean, um, I, they sprayed 400 rounds in this dude's fucking cabin when they found him. Oh, As, it was yeah. insane. I was here when they were like searching for him and they had, oh, really? Like, oh yeah. There were helicopters everywhere. Like I couldn't even go into a Lowe's because somebody thought they saw him at a Lowe's. Like I was trying to go in and the cops wouldn't let me go. Like, Jesus. Yeah, they were, I mean, but I mean, kill one of their own and that's yep. the strongest reaction you're going to get from the cops. The mafia always gets their payment back. Exactly. <laughs> As the great Dave Chappelle said, they Swiss cheese that motherfucker. They truly yeah, did. They did, yeah. But it does suck that your punishment as a victim of the war on drugs does not stop at, I am now isolated from society. I am now uh, separated from my family and I have to live here for how many so years. You also yeah. have to deal with fucking lunatics on the other side of the badge that will yeah. fuck your life up because you said an offhand comment to them. Yeah. That's all it that's all it really took. Yeah, it's a power trip when it comes down to it. When you see people in positions of power acting that way, like I mean, this is a broad generalization, but I, I'm confident in saying it. That's like a little ego tantrum they're having. When they can't handle that somebody won't listen or they won't obey, like that's when they get the most triggered. It's like, how dare you question my superiority? And I'm not saying that's true for every cop, but that seems to be a very common mentality. Like when you see these cops on YouTube having temper tantrums, it's because the person didn't do what they said. I don't know if you saw that video of a, of a driver who ended up shooting a cop. It came out like a few weeks ago. Was that the one where he shot him in their car? No, he was, um, it was a traffic stop and he wasn't getting out of the car and they tasered him. 
And then they kept yelling at him, like, get out of the car, get out of the car after he's been tasered. And eventually, like, the dude snapped and he shot one of the cops. From what I understand, one of your listeners may know more and can correct me. I'm totally open to being wrong. But I watched the video and especially before the guy shoots, like, it's seen, you can just hear the cops getting so angry. Why? Because the guy won't get out of his car. He's not listening. Never mind that, like, it could possibly be because they just tasered him and yeah. his whole body's in shock. Like, you can hear, like, the levels of anger rising because it's like, oh my God, he's not, he's not obeying. He's not doing as I command. And again, when you think you have the right to do that, of course, you're going to be pissed when somebody doesn't obey and they don't acknowledge it. Cause that's like a big blow to your self-image really. Like if you pride yourself on having control and being special because you're a cop or you're in a position of power, then anyone who questions that it's like neutralize this threat because that might affect right. my view of myself. Have you been tased before? No, I haven't. <laughs> I, assure, I assure you it takes a fucking minute to recover. What was that? I, I assure you it takes a fucking minute to recover, to gather yourself. It's, it fucking yeah, hurts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So like when they're throwing flash grenades into people's homes, then they're like, he didn't put his hands up. Well, maybe he couldn't hear you. Like, yeah, fuck that baby. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Like, and that seems like such basic, if I know this, just from watching a couple of YouTube videos, you would hope that law enforcement knows this. Yeah, you know, but it's funny you mentioned their ego. Um, I actually had this conversation with a CEO on the yard uh, once. I was really pissed because this this fuck we had this sergeant who just had it out for me because I, I don't stand for toxic leadership. And we had it out in the hallway. Um, it spilled out from a conversation in his office. Anyways, um, I, I went out into the yard and I was talking to the CEO and I was like, just because this guy was fucking bullied in high school and has some like a shred of power and like a dollar raise over me he thinks that he can fucking like be a piece of shit and she was like "Ooh, i was bullied in high school and that's kind of why i went into law enforcement i went oh god wow. damn oh well that just fucking proves my point my bad dude <laughs> but i will say on the bright side of that i mean not the bright side of that but on the flip side i i think that is such a common scenario but i've also found just, you know, to have a little bit of positivity is I've met a lot of people in our community, like in the freedom community who were also bullied as children. And rather than turning that into wanting power over others, it sort of molded them into a position where they wanted to help others who were also being bullied. And I'm really grateful that some people take that route. Like I personally know people who were like really bullied as kids. They had a really rough time and they took it as like, well, now I have to stand up for others. I don't want right. other people to be bullied. So like, there's still hope for some of us. <laughs> right. Take on the biggest bully there is the United States government. Exactly. <laughs> but that's my prison story. That's this is this is my story. This is my my truth. Um, <laughs> is there uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to the folks before we do plugs? Um, just take care of yourself. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, yes, you know, engage in counter economics and and hold people accountable and spread the message, but also don't forget to take care of yourself. Cause this, even just like having the views we have can honestly be really taxing, <laughs> pun intended, because <laughs> I mean, it's stressful, it's hard, it's difficult to see so much suffering and see people like cheering it on. So just whether that's going for a walk or exercising or going to therapy or meditating or doing yoga, whatever brings you peace, just, I'm not gonna tell you to do it cause you're free and you can do what you want, but I suggest, that these things have helped me right new new uh new viable form of or new viable vessel of liberty self-care yes <laughs> can't fight the government if you're a, a neckbeard fatty in your basement <laughs> sorry to be insensitive i guess but anyways um 
we can no longer we can no longer find you on anti-media but we can find you on instagram where else can we find you I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I try to keep up with minds and an awesome app called float F L O T E. Those are members of our community who started it. They're deep in the crypto space and it's really, uh huh. it's no censorship, no crazy algorithms. It is, you know, it's a bunch of people who share our values, but that is very valuable and they're growing it. So I'm on there. Um, I think that's it. I'm banned from Twitter. Anti-media is banned from Facebook and Twitter. So yeah, Instagram and Facebook are my normie platforms. And then um, there's also another blockchain-based one called Hive. Um, I think I'm on there. If I am, someone else is publishing my videos, but I am on there. Um, so there's all sorts of fun options. Um, did I say mines? Mines, float. Um, I can't keep track, which is awesome, but also I just can't keep track. That's um, awesome that you mentioned float. Literally, almost every guest I have on says they wish that there was another platform where we were stopped. We stopped being, you know, haunted by yeah. Zuck. Uh, float, F L O T E, correct? Yeah, they're actually they organized the Anarcho Vegas conference last year, which was really fun too. It was the wow. first annual, so they're they're cool people. It's um, they're a couple actually. They're a married couple, Aaron and Kingsley Edwards. So check them out. Spectacular. As I'm saying it, I want to say this because I mentioned them. Kingsley's father is a victim of the drug war. He's been in prison for like decades over like a spoonful of cocaine in the 80s. Um, so just to bring it back, if you check out one of their pages, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, um, Aaron Edwards or Kingsley Edwards, they post about it. They're trying to help him get out. He had some sort of like a parole hearing or some sort of like dropping the charges hearing is since this whole thing is about the drug war. I mean, everyone, so many people are affected. I know so many people who are, and that's just one of them. They're trying to get them out now though and give them clemency. That's the word clemency. Um, so if you check out float, check them out too. And, and I don't know if there's a new petition, if there's anything you can do, maybe they might have a campaign to contact the, the authorities where he is. Um, but just to bring that back, it's, it's, it's right here at home, you know, like in our yeah. community, there are people, who are dealing with this to this day. And there's so many cases like this, whether you're in the freedom movement or not, people are suffering and just to hammer it home and the drug war. <laughs> and the drug war. <laughs> and of course, I am Jay Flintlock, Flintlocks for, uh, for Freedom or the Flintlock Faction. Thank you for listening, for continuing to listen. Uh, there are many options and you, for some reason, chose this one. Uh, <laughs> good night, folks. Lord, I love her. We the animals take control.